All right, good morning, everybody. Man, we appreciate your flexibility, just being outside, gets hot. Feel free to grab some water and move around and chase the shade if you'd like. Um, also, just pay attention next week or so. We will be sending out some more communication about our summer schedule. It looks like we're getting some of our building back soon, but not all of it. And so um, there'll be some changes to how we're worshiping together on Sundays, and hopefully we'll be able to get inside pretty soon and get out of some of this heat. Um, but the plan keeps changing, but things uh, will be, we'll have some news to share with you in the next week or two. So today I want to start by telling you about uh, the summer job that I had from middle school through high school. And uh, both of my brothers had the same job. We would, every summer, work for my parents who owned a small, small town department store. So if you're old enough to remember traveling through small towns, the old J.C. Penney's, my dad bought one of those many years ago. And so we worked in these stores. And then over the years, my dad started some other stores, some sporting goods. And we lived in the retail world. And so every summer, we would work and we would sort hangers and we would sell shoes and we would put out clothes and we'd work with, with customers. And it was the most mind-numbing, boring job that I could have possibly had working retail every summer. It was painful. Unless something made that day very, very exciting. Now, the thing that made those days very, very exciting were when shoplifters decided that it was time to steal something from my dad's store. And so often my brothers and I would run down shoplifters. Literally, we'd run them down and we'd grab them and hold on to them until the cops came. And it was, I mean, the excitement was, it was amazing. And it, it was a weird thing. I almost prayed some days, Lord, let it happen again today. Let it happen. Once, uh, one day, my whole family was there. And this wasn't always the case that we're all there. My mom's there. She's working in the front of the store. My dad's in the back. And me and my two brothers are somewhere in between. And the alarm goes off and we look up and a shoplifter starts to run down the street. He had just stolen something from the store. And my mom, she's the closest to the door. She starts screaming, come back here. And she runs out. Right after my mom runs out of the store, my dad's in the back and he yells out, go get him boys. <laughs> and me and both my brothers stopped whatever it was that we were doing and we all just ran out. So uh, I'm in front of all of them because I was closest to the front and I catch up to my mom. I'm like, I got to get to my mom first. What is my mom going to do to this grown man who had just stole something? So first uh, goal was to get my mom safe. I caught up to my mom. I said, mom, go back to the store and call the cops. I catch the guy a couple blocks later and what was always the case, it's this weird interaction. You grab him by the arm. You don't want to like make it super physical, but you're kind of hoping that it turns into that because it's going to get more exciting. And... Uh, I said to the guy, I said, you better hope the cops get here before my dad does. And, and he looked at me and thought, why? Well, I had done this enough to know that when my dad would catch up to these shoplifters, my dad would be so angry, he would say the most creative, awful things to these poor guys. I mean, it, it was like, my, I can't tell you what my dad said, but I can just tell you it was really creative. And it was never the same. Like he he pulled out something fierce. And I told this guy, I said, you better hope the cops get here before my dad does. Well, they both got there at the same time. And my dad said, you got to hold this guy up. And my dad just, just let this guy have it. And it was so bad. I started feeling sorry for the shoplifter. I just thought, let's put this guy out of his misery and take him to the station. So my dad finally finishes. He's handcuffed. They put him in the car. And as he's getting in the car, he makes eye contact with me. And he gives me this look like, you weren't joking. That was awful. 
So, you know, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad in there. You know, my dad's anger in many ways was totally justified. It was a personal thing for us. It was their store. It was their livelihood. Um, it wasn't just money and an item. It was an offense to my family. My dad didn't always handle that right, like most of us, right? We don't always handle our anger the best that we can. But what was interesting for me is to actually watch what made my dad very, very angry outside of our house. So when my brothers and I would fight or we'd be disrespectful, I knew my dad would get angry. We'd get in trouble. But to see my dad's anger outside was kind of this fascinating facet of my dad that I hadn't yet seen until we got older and started working at the store and would see these things together. Now, I tell you all that because I'm going to tell you a little more of a righteous story today that lets us in on the anger of Jesus. Now, this can be hard for certain people today because our modern sensibilities say we don't like to think of Jesus ever as angry, ever as aggressive. But that's just not true. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus getting angry at just a few things and a few particular types of people who are struggling with different things. And his anger was not meant to tear people down, but it was meant to change something that was harming people. And so today we're gonna go to a parable where this takes place. And so let me tell you a little bit more about the parable. Uh, Most parables have a focus on the kingdom of God or the nature uh, uh, of God, and some of that's in here. But this parable really exposes what's inside every human heart. And so I want us to be open today Not afraid of the idea that Jesus gets angry at certain things, but I want us to be open to the idea that there are certain things inside of us that need to be judged. We don't love that word, but you'll see here in a moment, the judgment needs to happen in a very, very different way because we're all allergic to this thing called hypocrisy. Jesus calls it out. That's what he's angry with. He's angry at the hypocrisy that is inside the human heart. And so if you like to follow around, we're gonna be in Mark chapter seven. You get to see Jesus in a new way if you've never read one of these moments where Jesus gets after some people, all right? So Mark chapter seven, it's a little lengthy. We're gonna read from verse one to verse 23. And this is how it goes. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews Do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not, they do, marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, traditions such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Verse six, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. So here it is. He's getting after him. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go, uh, you have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who cushions their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that anyone declares what, that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, meaning it should have been given to these priests, okay? Then you will no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by the tradition that you have handed down 
and you do many things like that. In other words, you've imposed rules that don't need to be imposed on people and you're picking and choosing and using the things that you want to manipulate people. So this is what Jesus is calling out. Verse 14, again, Jesus called the crowds to him and said, listen to me, everyone understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them. What words, right? We don't like these words very much. They're hard to listen to. But listen to the inviting message he shares when he gets to this. Nothing on the outside can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. He says, are you so dull? Are you not getting it? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then he mentions several things, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, all of these things. But notice what Jesus said, it's out of the heart that these things come. And so because uh, Jesus explains the parable to his disciples, it's not that hard to understand the kind of conversation Jesus is engaging in and what he's trying to communicate. He is angry at the hypocrisy of the religious people. And he's also angry that most of the time people spend our attention and our time working on the externals rather than the heart. See, Jesus passionately cares about your heart. He takes it personal when someone's heart is hurting or we're acting in a certain way that out of a woundedness in our heart, he takes it personal because he wants what's best for us. And so the anger of Jesus has to do with the hypocrisy inside their hearts, but also the fact that they're spending too much time on the externals. So here's the conversation and the question that's being answered. It doesn't just come right out, but here's the nature of the conversation. What makes a person clean? What makes a person unclean? You've probably never asked that question about yourself or someone else, and that's a good thing. We like to think we've outgrown that type of judgment. But isn't it true that every day we spend time judging other people on different standards by which we think that they should live under? In fact, this is one of the reasons we have so much division in, in our country today. We can't have a discussion about things without things getting personal. Because whether it's conservatism or liberalism or wokeism or secularism or strict Christian fundamentalism, these aren't just different ways to see the world. We have attached these things with moral value and say, if you don't hold my ism, whatever that might be, you're an unclean person. They're a bad person. This is in all of us. We don't like to admit it. But we know that this is such a part of the, of the world today because we get this from other people all the time. We feel their, the shame that they're throwing at us for not thinking like them. See, it's not just about, uh, you know, and I'm not even here to condemn or support any of those ideologies. What Jesus is condemning and what I want us to think about today is what we do with our thoughts is we moralize them and put them on people. And that makes Jesus angry. First of all, it's the wrong standard, but second of all, there's hypocrisy in all of our hearts and we need to be so careful not to move down this road. So again, verse six, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about the hypocrites. You hypocrites, it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What Jesus is after is integrity. Integrity is when the outside matches the inside, but it's a little more than that. It's when the outside matches the inside and matches Jesus. 
So we can have integrity and be off in certain ways. Our heart can match our actions. It often does. But integrity, there's, the, there's congruence between what's going on in our heart and our mind and our decisions and our actions and the way we live. But integrity also has uh, congruence with the way Jesus lives. Now, here's the thing I want us to listen to. None of us like to think of ourselves as these judgmental religious people. But we all have some of this in us. And actually, let me illustrate it this way before I go on to these these two things that Jesus is trying to help us see. I love the illustration Tim Keller gives about what people do with moral standards. So often he would use this illustration to make the point that we all have a moral standard, but it also could be made that uh, this illustration can be used to make the point that we all have duplicity inside of us, okay? So this is the way that you have to imagine it, but you're walking around for a day and you're wearing a magic tape recorder, okay? And the reason this tape recorder is magic is because every time you say something like, they shouldn't do that, they should parent their kids a little different, how could they drive a car like that? How could they spend their money like that? Why did they vote that way? The tape recorder comes on and it captures that whatever it is that you said. But this is a magic tape recorder, so it doesn't just gather the things you say, it's gathering the things that you're thinking, right? Because often we don't always share what we're thinking. If you got to the end of the day and you played back that entire day from the magic tape recorder, there's not a single person who could live up to the own st- their own standard that they put on other people. See, we all do this. Jesus knows it. Now, here's what's interesting about Jesus. Jesus doesn't get angry with all of us all the time for doing this. His anger is really focused at these religious leaders because he knows the damage that is done by people who have spiritual authority in their hypocrisy is great. Isn't that true? If someone has spiritual or even political authority and they act in such a way that is hypocritical, they impose something else on other people that they themselves aren't living by, I mean, the ripple effects are greater than just, man, that person's having a bad day or that person's a jerk. It's true that the hypocrisy that lives within Christianity and within Christians has done more damage to the message of Jesus than anything an atheist has ever said. Because that's just the way it works. And that makes Jesus, or that gets his attention and he's calling it out. So you pick and choose the things you impose on people, but your heart is dark. You've missed the meaning. You're focusing only on the externals. In Matthew chapter seven and verse one, there's another place where Jesus is saying the same kind of thing. Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when at the same time there's a plank in your own eye? And then look, Jesus uses the same words again. He's angry. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So I don't don't want to just impose some heavy thing on all of us, but what I want us to, I want us to start from the place that we know that, hey, there's some of this in all of us. And I think Jesus would gently come to us and say, hey, that's something that harms people. By the way, you don't have to be a religious leader to have spiritual authority. If you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a parent, you're a small group leader. If you're the only Christian someone else knows, there's, a set of, there's an amount of authority on you 
And there is a high calling to live with such integrity that what matches, uh, that the, the life of Jesus matches what's in our heart and our mind and, and the way that we're living. And so Jesus gives warning here, beware of your own hypocrisy and also be aware of the heart. Now, I wanna move on. So enough about the hypocrisy. But this is why we're hypocritical is Jesus goes even deeper. He says, that's a problem. But the biggest problem and the cause of all that is our hearts have issues. And this is true of every person. The heart is what needs the attention, not the externals. It's not more of a to-do list. It's not the things that we should or shouldn't do. It's the work of the heart. And out of the heart, we live, we, we, we speak, we, we make choices. And so you can read this over and over again in the Bible. Proverbs 27, 19 says, as water reflects the face, so one, one's life reflects the heart. Proverbs 21, 2, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs their heart. Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The heart is such an important issue. So here's the question. If he's saying the heart is the issue, and if we as people who want to be full of integrity, we also want to separate ourselves from our own dysfunction that, that causes harm in our relationships. Here's a question to ask, what does it mean to work on my heart? And here at Cornerstone, we talk about these themes all the time because they're important, but also to make them normal. Like we wanna make it a normal conversation that happens within our community to talk about a couple of things I'm gonna to mention today, our shadow and a thing that I'm gonna to explain to you in a moment, a family system. We need to be so aware of these things that we're including community around us, that we need to have a brave communities, brave faith that says, I'm gonna face these difficult things in my heart because out of the heart comes all these other things. That's what Jesus is most concerned with here, even more than the hypocrisy but they're darkened hearts. So let me talk about how we can work on our heart a couple ways. And there's, this is just a couple suggestions. There are many other ways we work on our heart, but I want you to think for a moment about your shadow. And then we'll talk about the system that we all grow up with. Everyone has a shadow. It's like a literal shadow. It follows you wherever you go. Okay. I like that picture, but our shadow is the accumulated loss, wounds, failures and vulnerabilities that a person carries. So it's your grief, it's your past, it's your mistakes, it's, it's your weakness, it's even your sin. And it's worth distinguishing here that not everything in your shadow is sin. Sin is our own choices, rebelling against God. It's not us breaking some, some more arbitrary moral list that God has imposed on us. I heard it, sin described this way this week and I loved it. Sin is when we don't let God form us into the person that he wants us to be or who we will be. It's interrupting God's great big project of making us like him. That's what sin ultimately is. Now we're responsible for our sin and so we confess our sin and we repent and we, we, we seek growth but a bunch of your shadow has nothing to do with your own choices. It has to do with your past. And so I have friends that have wounds from being abused. And that experience or those experiences have formed them. And they live out of this wounded place in their heart. I mean, the stats about people who are abused when they're kids, especially women, is overwhelming. It's tremendously sad. There are lots of other wounds. Maybe you grew up in a family where you didn't receive something that you needed. Mom and dad weren't both at home. Home wasn't a safe place. Those are wounding experiences. Those are wounding times. And so 
we carry these things with us. And so the shadow is accumulation of all of this stuff and it all kind of mixes up and it becomes this great big mess and counselors go to school for a very long time to help us sort out the mess. A lot of times our sin is influenced by our past wounds or these other things. And what happens as time goes on, we, we're aware of our weaknesses and failures and it creates vulnerabilities in us, insecurities. We, we all have the things that, like, that, that, that tweak um, our in ter- you know, our safe, our sense of, of safety and who we are and our value. We all have those things. And so our shadow is a big deal and wise people face their shadow because the shadow is in the heart and the heart is the thing that Jesus said is most important. Shadow just doesn't go away, but here's the good news about every part of your shadow. It can be healed. The gospel message isn't just a forgiving message, it's a healing message. And so those things that we carry with us, Jesus actually wants to meet us in those places and bring about healing. So this is common language here at Cornerstone. We encourage people to go down that brave road of facing their shadow. It's really, it's really, really important. But when you do it, the the results are incredible. A.W. Tozer An old pastor said, the neglected heart will soon be a heart overrun by worldly thoughts. The neglected life will soon become a more, will soon move into moral chaos. All those things are true. Wounds that are not dealt with, the shadow that's not dealt with, the shadow that's hidden and managed away will eventually take over our life. And I believe this is where many addictions, or many addictions come from. And I hear this from my friends that are in the recovery world. There are things in their past that often led to that dysfunctional behavior. And so wise people who hear the words of Jesus saying, it's about the heart, think about their shadow and they share it with someone safe. Now it's not appropriate to run around and share every part of your shadow with every person. That's an inappropriate level of vulnerability. But it does, healing takes vulnerability, not just between you and God, which often can be the hardest thing for some people to do, but more often than not, the vulnerability with another person is very hard. But healing comes in friendship. Healing comes with someone walking with you. Healing comes with the love and and grace and acceptance that comes from another person who's not throwing back on you shame. Healing comes from hearing someone else's story of struggle, their own shadow. Healing comes in those places and God can work. And so, you know, one of the things that I really want to stand out about our church is that this is a safe place for people to face their shadow. And Jesus is constantly pointing out the heart, say, face it. Now, here's another part of dealing with our heart. And some of this can can play into our shadow as well, but I'll get a little more specific about this part of our shadow. And it's what many people call family systems. And so Gene has been teaching this for years. Counselors know it as well. Um, But you can read about this in the Bible in many different places, especially in the Old Testament. You know where you've read in in, in the Old Testament where it said something like the sins of the father and the mother fall upon their children and generations after generations. What it's not saying is God punishes children because of their parents. But what this is saying is there are certain dysfunctions, certain traits, good and bad, that we inherit from our family system. So Elise and I have four boys. Our oldest son, Cole, in a couple months is going away to college. We hope we've given him all that he needs to do well. I also know that we've given Cole some of the worst things about us. And someday, and really now, he's a young man himself, he will be responsible for facing that part of his shadow. 
So we get these good and bad traits. You know, in the Carlucci family, my mom and dad, they gave us so many more good traits than they gave us bad traits. Like our family supports each other. Uh, we work things out. Even though we're not the best at dealing with conflict, we're loyal. Um, we work hard. We celebrate together. These are great things that come in the Carlucci family. But we have explosive anger. And often we aren't very good at dealing with conflict. We just cast the person off. You know how that shows up in our family is there's this legacy of divorce in the Carlucci family. So it starts with my grandfather who divorced a lady that I never met before he married my grandma. My grandma and grandpa had two sons, my dad and my uncle Jim. My uncle has been divorced five times. He has four children. Between the four children, they've been divorced 10 times. Of those four kids, they have lots of kids. My second cousins, I couldn't even figure out how many of them there were this week. But I know there's another half dozen divorces. What my mom and dad have done by staying together and working through their problems is an incredible gift that they've given to me and my, and my, my brothers and our families. But something was broken. Peter Scazzaro has a great quote. He says, you know, Jesus may be in your heart when you accept him, but your grandpa's in your bones. It's true. These family system traits, or if you want to look it up, it's called systems theory. You can look it up. These traits move up the family tree. They are not buried. They move up the family tree. So this has something to do with our shadow. There are certain things that you have inherited. It's not your fault. That's part of the shadow. It's part of the reason that there's duplicity in your heart, in my heart. There's hypocrisy. Um, you know, I inherited just this, this inability to, to love a woman well in our family. And it almost resulted in Elise and I getting a divorce. It was that severe. It takes tremendous courage. And sometimes you have to get all the way to the bottom of yourself, the bottom of the hole, to begin to look at those things. But we all have things about us that show up, that are part of this, this system that comes through. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 29, uses colorful language to describe how these negative traits can get passed on. In those days, people will no longer say their parents have eaten sour grapes and their children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the parents have made these bad choices and it's harming the kids. It lives on in the kids. And so one of the roles of a mentor or a parent or a big brother or a big sister or, uh, or even just someone that's a leader in some way is to pass on more good traits and to help that person that you're mentoring or leading to see, see, hey, we all have these things that are part of our shadow. Some of them we inherited. Some of them I'm passing on to you, but we're all responsible for it. Now, here's the wrong way to handle anything that has to do with your system. It is not helpful as adults to blame our parents. Isn't that one of the least attractive things anyway about adults is when they run around just as victims their entire life blaming other people? There is victim, victimization, but to stay in that place and blame others, it just doesn't help. We get stuck. So the point here is not to blame. The point is that we might be reflective about the things that are going on in our heart. And these are the things I think if Jesus were with us and he were to say, hey, don't worry about the externals, just focus on the heart. I think he'd talk about some of these things. I think he'd talk about our shadow. I think he'd talk about our family, the things we got and we didn't get. Because Jesus is the heart surgeon and he's incredibly safe. He's loyal 
He knows the way through all of that darkness, and it's amazing. All right, I need to, to finish up here, but I want to give us a couple points of just application, a couple things to consider as we leave. And so uh, often when we talk about the shadow or you talk about something like systems theory, it can be overwhelming for a person. It can be scary sometimes. It brings up stuff that you've tried to forget. But I will tell you, if you've tried to forget it but not dealt with it, you've not lost it. It is your shadow is still with you. It will cause dysfunction. But where do you start when there's so much going on in your life? You're busy, but maybe there's a whole lot of things that you could consider. Let me just give you this suggestion. Spend some time this week when you're praying in your quiet time with the Lord. Maybe it's a walk or a run. You're reading scripture. And just ask God this question. God, show me one area of my shadow that we can face together. Don't ask him to show you all of it at once because we're not ready for that. But Jesus is gentle anyway, and he knows that that doesn't work. It might not be the thing you think he's gonna tell you. So I've heard different things over the years that are very surprising to me. I had no idea when I started asking this question early on in, in, in our, with our marriage struggles that I was such a critical person and I made my wife feel small. See, I thought all the problems were other things. I even thought the things about me that were problems I could get under control. I had to ask God, show me. And he showed me something that I wasn't aware of. So you can start by just asking God, show me one area, one area of my heart. And I'll tell you, as healing comes, integrity builds. As healing comes, integrity builds and hypocrisy decreases. And I think we all want to be that type of person. So first, as we ask God to show us Psalm 51, it's a prayer that you can pray. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David goes on to say, show me what's inside. So pray that brave prayer and take the brave minutes to listen. And if you don't hear from the Lord, keep praying that prayer and keep listening and I believe God will speak to you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. Here's the second suggestion I want to give. So as we ask God to show us these things, I think the thing that we can focus on every day, that this is not just something we take in small doses, but you can seek to have your heart filled with the love of God. And so when we talk about our shadow and our system, a lot of times what we're talking about is, is Jesus freeing us from those things. We need him to free us from those things. But the best way for that work to happen is when he's also filling our heart. And I'm talking about like the things that matter most to all of us. Psalm 37 verse four says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, the desires of your heart that he's speaking of here, it, it's, it's much better than a new bike, a new car, a vacation, the right date. The desires of your heart have to do with your core longings. Like who you are your value, your love, your notice, your purpose. Like the existential things that we're constantly asking ourselves or trying to work out in our life, those are the desires of your heart. So when you seek him for that fulfillment, he will not just free your heart, he will fill it. I'll tell you what, a person who has a full heart is usually braver to face their shadow. Why? Because they have the energy. They're being loved. They know they're being supported. They have Jesus and the Holy Spirit and in, in, in the Father in heaven right behind them, pushing them in that direction, saying, you can do it. I've got something beautiful for you on the other side of this difficult struggle. 
And so we ask God to show us one area, but then we seek our fulfillment in him. And what that often means, my friends, is that we stop seeking our fulfillment in our job or in money or the perfect relationship. Those things are great, but they are never meant to fill your heart. They're never meant to fill your heart. We, Elise and I tell young couples when we do premarital counseling together, there's no such thing as a soulmate. No one will fill your heart the way you need them to. At least in, this, in these relationships, only Jesus can do that. The best way to be fulfilled in your marriage, by the way, is to let him fill your heart. You have more to give. You won't, won't impose uh, overwhelming uh, expectations on the other one. Be free to enjoy the relationship. This is how it works. When we let him fill our heart, we're able to handle these things and move ahead in maturity. All right, so don't run around getting angry with people for their own hypocrisy this week, not giving us permission to do that. That's often a response. But let Jesus's anger, but also his invitation to have a heart that's renewed be something that we listen to and consider ourselves. And so I wanna pray and then we're gonna take communion together. So let's just bow our heads and go to the quiet place of prayer. Father, we thank you for getting to see you, Jesus, in different ways. Thank you that you are fully human, although you're God. We thank you that you experience the same emotions that we do. We thank you that you knew just the right time to respond to certain moments with anger. We thank you that you didn't sin in your anger, but we know, Father, that your anger meant something. And so as we reflect on just how Jesus got after these religious leaders that were imposing difficult things on other people, I pray that we would have the humble moment to say, hey, there's some of that inside of me. And so we wanna to come to you, Lord, and we wanna say, help root that out of us. And we know it's not just uh, the, in the words that we say and the choices we make. We know, Father, that this is rooted in the heart. And so help us take that journey to allow you to show us what's in our heart, the beauty in our heart, also the shadow. Show us the things that you want to bring about uh, that you want to bring healing in, that you want to see transformation happen in our life. Show us those things. But as we do that, Father, I pray that you would show us more and more how to seek our satisfaction, our joy in you. The heart is most alive when it is fully given to you. And I pray that you would help us do that more and more. Remind us of these things this week, Father. Do some heart work in us. And may this just be a part of our life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's, um, let's take our elements. If you don't have the communion elements, just raise your hand, Jess and Steve are walking around. Be glad to get you some. Let's take the bread. This is a tradition of remembering. We remember his body broken for us in the same way that bread can be broken, can be pierced. His body was broken and pierced for us so that the healing of our heart, the freeing of our heart could be possible. Let's eat in remembrance of him. And then Jesus took the cup of wine in that Passover Seder and he said, this represents a new covenant. 
It's never been about externals, but he's now saying this is about a new heart. This is a new covenant. And this is my blood that is poured out for you because when covenants are made, blood is always shed. And so he said, I'm gonna shed my blood so that this covenant, this relationship can be new and different. So let's drink in remembrance of him. Father, as your people, we celebrate the greatest victory in history. The moment on the cross when you took it all upon yourself, all of the shadows, all of the systems, and you broke sin and death and dysfunctions power over us. Doesn't mean the influence is gone, but the power has been broken. And then Father, we thank you that three days later, you gave us another incredible gift. And that is your new life, resurrection life. May it be. May you bring about new life in us out of these dark places. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.